0: Um, I don't, you probably have uh played the game exploding kittens it 's a very famous game anyone played exploding kittens now i 'm not talking about that game that young men play like behind the sheds uh, actually exploding kittens no it's a card game and uh, and the the premise is easy uh you sit around the deck of cards everyone takes a, a card from the top deck there's some things you can do to slow down the process but eventually someone's got to pick up a card that has an exploding Kitten on it. If you get an exploding Kitten, then you're out of the game, unless you've got something that you can uh, resurrect yourself with. So there's the idea. You pick up a card, and uh, you never know when the next card is going to be, the card that gets you out of the game. But there's one card that's really useful. Uh, a number of cards are useful. One of the one, one of my favourites is the See the Future card. The See the Future card, when you play that card, you get to lift up the first three cards on the deck and see what the next three cards look like and you put them back in the deck and there's a sense of relief because you know how the game is going to play at least for the next three hands you see how this works seeing the future changes the way that you play this game there's a great sense of confidence you move forward more confidently understanding what is what lies ahead what Peter does for us in 1 Peter 1, 3 to 12, it's a bit of an introduction to the whole book, really, uh, but it begins with the words, praise be to God, because of what he is, has done for us and for the future that he's laid up for us. Peter lays out a future for us so that we can live in the now with the confidence of what God has already done. Knowing the future, because of what God has already done, helps us, to be shielded in the here and now. Some passages in the Bible don't need a lot of explaining; they just need highlighting, just need to underline words and pause every now and then, and 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 uh, and encourage one another. I think this is one of those passages. If you slow down and read it several times, you begin to understand how how simple and clear it is. So that's my intent today, is just to go through the text, highlight a few things, and encourage us to look to God about what he has done um, and look to God who he is. But if we don't look to what he's done or who he is, then there are consequences for that. Uh, So the first thing I want to talk about is to keep your eyes on what God has done, and that's from verses 3 to 4. Let me just quickly reread verses 3 and 4. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. Now, You've, you've, you've seen the words, they're up on the screen, I've read them out loud. And do you understand them? Yeah. The praise goes to God. Praise be to God, the Father... Of the Lord Jesus Christ, and then what out what unfolds is the great gift that God has given for you, uh, for you and I, and this is our future hope. So, look, look at what he says God has given us new birth. It says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ in His great mercy. So, we don't deserve any of this, but because of His mercy, not just shallow mercy, but great mercy, He has given us new birth. This new birth is it's not the same as a new perspective. Uh, you know, the one once upon a time, you used to drive around in uh, in Toyotas and then you discovered the, the Kia, you know, and you go, oh, well, my life's changed now. I drive Kias now. That's a new perspective. You know, God doesn't give us a new angle of life to look at. It's a new birth. This is the kind of thing that G- Jesus spoke to Nicodemus about in John chapter 3. He said to Nicodemus that, that well-schooled, scholar of the bible he said nicodemus you need to be born again you, you, there's a reboot that's required you know when you were born the first time you were once nothing and then you became something it's a miracle this is this is life but jesus said and peter says here that god has given us new birth it's it's as radical as that and it's something that we can't do on our own it's actually supernatural This new birth can only come because God himself, God the Father, in his great mercy sent Jesus, his son, into the world, uh, intervening with the normal course of events, stepping in to our danger in order to save us from this and give us new birth. It's It's a radical thing. It's not something that I can just try and convince you to do. This is something that God does in us. He's given us, uh, in his great mercy, he has given us new birth. He then says, into, uh, into a living hope, into a living hope. Now, living hope is not just wishful thinking. It's not just a, a get-rich-quick scheme. Uh, I hope that this will pan out for me. If I enter this, then I've got a good chance of getting somewhere. Uh, enter the Christian faith and you're better off than not. No, this is actually a real secure hope. It's a living hope is what it's described as. Uh, it's not even um, made-up hope. That's the, the kind of thing that emerges uh, in funeral services as people give eulogies and, and say things like, oh, that person, you know, I can hear their voice in the wind and the birds and things like that. that that's, that's giving, uh, that's uh, self-soothing hope. But this is real hope. This is living hope. And it's of course it's way better than no hope. God has given us a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Do you see something that God has actually done in the past—a real-life thing—that Jesus came into the world to save us. He laid down his life on the cross so that our punishment could be taken on his shoulders, and then three days later he rose from the grave. The resurrection is what we base our hope on. It's anchored in something historic. Now we've talked about the new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Peter also says, if I I fast forward in the book to chapter one verse twenty-three, he talks about that that new birth. He says, "For you have been born again." This is chapter one verse twenty-three. You have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable. Now, what what seed does he talk about? You've been born again. Through a seed, not, but it's not perishable seed, it's imperishable seed. So what's that seed? He says, through the living and enduring word of God. Now the word of God really is the promises of God. It's the, it's the story of God, it's the, it's the unfolding story of, Jesus, of, of God saving mankind and that gospel is what saves us. The understanding of the gospel and coming to Jesus, the risen Lord Jesus, to receive that new birth into a living hope, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, and to do with the with the living hope, in verse thirteen, Peter says, "Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, he wants our he wants our ba- our brains engaged. There's no such thing as a brainwashed Christian. We we have our brain, our brains turned on, and we're reading the scriptures and we're, we're understanding with, uh, with minds that are alert and fully sober. Set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. So our hope is not just based on something that's happened in the past. Our hope is set on something that is going to happen in the future. That one, that just as Jesus came the first time, laid down his life and rose to life again, uh, he will come again to call us home. And that is that is what our living hope resides on and in. Uh, through him, verse 21 says, through him you believe in God Who raised him from the dead and glorified him? So your faith and hope are in God. Do you see that? That we keep our eyes set on what God has done, and that He has sent His Son Jesus, and that Jesus has risen from the the dead. And our eyes need to be fixed on that. And remember this, because Peter says the beginning of this sentence, verse three, he says, "Praise be to God." Our response to the great mercy of God, is to give him praise and to live lives of praise. It's not, it's not enough for us to think of him from time to time. He, is, he has thought of you from uh, before all of eternity. And he calls us to live live lives of praise, to love him. Well, what happens if we take our eyes off what God has done? Uh Keep your eyes on what God has done. Oh, sorry, let me... A few more things to say first. Uh, this, the, the gift is actually described there in, in, uh, in verse 5, uh, verse 4, into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. Into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. Done a great job in the kid's spot and, the, and Colin Buchanan's song to think about the greatest treasure in the whole wide world. It can never perish, spoil, or fade. And uh, in the kids' spot, thinking about things that do perish, spoil or fade, that what well, we put our hope in, that just vanishes like mist. But what God has promised us is something that will never perish, it will never spoil, it will never fade, and it's kept in heaven for you. It's a wonderful phrase, isn't it? It's kept in heaven for you. It's as if it's a, there's a vault up in heaven with your name in it, and it's there. It's anchored. Well, this is what I think is important about that, that concept. Our, our forecast is not looking uh, just good. Our future is not just looking good. You know, it's looking great. And it's not just looking great, it's looking amazing. As we think of the future, what God has in store for us, it is incredible. It is is awesome. And we're not to think of the Christian walk as a, a slow and steady wins the race kind of walk. That if we just stick with God, we'll eventually get there uh we'll you know we'll get closer to him he'll he'll enjoy us our company a little bit more and more as we put to death our sins if that's even possible uh but if the christian walk is not it's not like a, a financial forecast where you see the line squiggly going up and up it's this way isn't it, for you uh the line going up and up and up and up you know the forecast is actually already set it's already a, a flat line as high as you can reach and that is it the we've already been qualified for eternity through the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything, the price has been paid. Everything has been accomplished for us. It's there already. And I want to impress on you you whether that's something that we consciously think about, that it's already there. The goal has been paid for. The goal has been kicked. Jesus has kicked the goal. We just need to play through to the end of the game. But what happens if we take our eyes off of what God has done? Uh, Well, we're left defenseless. We're left defenseless. Let me read to you first from verse five. Uh, So this inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice though now for a little while you may have to suffer have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials these have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold which perishes even though refined by fire may result in praise glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed you see peter explains to us that becoming a christian doesn't mean smooth sailing for the rest of your life in fact the bible jesus peter all of it says that coming to Christ actually brings calamity. It actually brings more drama into your life than we would love. But what keeps us going in the Christian faith, or Christian walk, is a shield described here in verse 5 as a shield of faith. When we forget what God has done, then we're unarmed and we're vulnerable. We're in the battlefield with any, without anything to protect us. But what we have to protect us is this trust. This, this shield of faith is not to be imagined as something that comes from within, that you have to have enough faith. No, the shield of faith is external to us. It's, it's the trust that we put in God. Our trust in what God has already done for us at the cross and through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade, that knowledge is what we trust in and therefore we step through this life in confidence, able to um, combat anything that comes our way. Uh, Romans chapter 1, verse 16, ascribes God's power. The power of God is... The gospel, Romans 1, verse 16. The gospel is the power of God that saves and keeps us going. And this shield, this shield of faith, uh, shields us against grief and sorrow and any resistance in our world. Uh, the life, the life uh, dreams that go pear-shaped. But of course, and probably what Peter has most in mind is, is Persecution. Um, in our in our culture, what I tend to experience is as persecution is just passive aggressiveness. How hard is that? You know, there's persecution around the world that is far greater than what we're, we're, we are we are receiving. But persecution is persecution in all its different forms. And what helps us to stand against this is the shield of faith. And our position, our battle stance, is to stand firm. Uh, at the end of the book, in chapter 5, verse 9, uh, starting at verse 8, actually, at the end of the book, Peter says, Be alert and of sober mind. He said that already in the book, hasn't he? Have, you, have your minds alert. Uh, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Peter says, Resist him, standing firm in the faith. Do you see that? Our stance is to stand firm and to resist the devil. And any, any form of, uh, of suffering and trial, through faith, through our trust in God. Because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of suffering. And again in verse 12 he says, with, uh, he says, This is the true grace of God, stand fast in it. Well friends, if we don't know what we're standing in, then how can we stand? But if our eyes are set on what God has done for us, and what that has achieved for us, did you notice that uh, he says that it's been kept in heaven for you? It's so personal. It's been kept in heaven, this inheritance that can never be perished, spoil, or fate has been kept in heaven for you. And if that is our anchor, if that is our shield, then we can uh, put up with resistance, trials, temptations and anything in this world that brings suffering. So there's the first half of the talk. Set your, set your eyes on what God has done. Otherwise, we're left defenceless and we, we will fall over and fade away ourselves. But the second part that I want to draw attention to is to set your heart on who God is. Set your heart on who God is. Uh, verse 8. Let me read to you from verse 8. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy, for you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Our faith is not merely in a what, what God has done, but our faith is in who God is, and that one day we'll see him face to face. Uh, Linda just, you know, off script uh, burst out that it, wouldn't be, it won't be amazing to see God face to face. That'll be incredible. And we, we, we long to see him because as we read the Bible, as we read through the Gospels, the stories of Jesus, how he, how he interacted with people and how he, he loved the, the, the poor and the, un, under, the, the trodden people, the sinners. And he shot down the, the hypocrites and the proud people. The way that he he called to us and says, "Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden i 'll give you rest we We love him because he first loved us, and he laid down his life for us, died for us. but what the bible what Peter extols us to do is not merely to understand the mathematics of the gospel but to understand the passion that God went through in order to save you. Look at the words that are that are there in." Uh, Verse 9, For you are receiving the end result of your faith. So this knowledge of what God has done, uh, you will receive what God has promised to you. And it says there, The salvation of your souls. How personal is that? That Jesus Christ is your soul carer. He came to earth so that your soul would have an eternal future. How wonderfully intimate is that concept? Jesus actually loves your soul more than you do. And we want, to, we want to give him everything. Although we've never seen him, I've never seen him. I, I, I'm a little bit in awe that Peter did see him. But even Peter, in that first century, as he wrote this letter, he wrote to people who had put their faith in Jesus even though they never met him. They put their faith in Jesus because the Bible has explained it all to them. The Bible tells them everything they need to know. Though though you've never seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. We come to him, the living stone, is what Peter will tell us uh, in in a chapter's time. What happens if we take our eyes, our heart of who God is? What's the consequence of us not pursuing this relationship with God, not understanding and, and building up our love tank with Jesus? That's a really corny thing to say, isn't it? Uh, well, otherwise, it, it's all just academic, isn't it? This Christianity is just is just a subject that you come and attend and, and learn about, but you don't actually fall in love with the, 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 the creator, the one who created all of us, Let me read to you from verse 10. Concerning this salvation, the prophets, he's talking about the Old Testament uh, prophets, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you, searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you and they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. And here's a little Bible reading tip. Uh, read the Bible several times to understand what the sentences mean. They're really long sentences, uh, and you've got to break them down into smaller chunks to work out what's being said. But when, once you've read that passage, that, that little, those few verses, a few times it becomes clearer and clearer, just through your brain reading the text on the screen, on the, on the page, becomes clearer that what what Peter is saying is that in the, in the old days before Jesus came God spoke to people that, that were called prophets and these prophets weren't just parrots who received a word from God went to the king or whoever they had to give that word to and and parroted off what was said and they went back to their their town no they heard the word of God and and, and it brewed in them they they were marveling at what God, God was speaking to them about and they knew that there was something missing And they they poured into the scriptures and they they read it thoroughly, trying to understand the times and the places and, and what is God planning to do. But before Jesus came, they were missing something, weren't they? And they were missing Jesus, the Messiah. They knew that a Messiah was coming. They knew so many things. They knew so much detail. And so that when the Messiah does come, when Jesus did come, Jesus could prove to them through the Old Testament prophets that I am the one that they're speaking about. He's the missing piece of the puzzle. When the prophets are reading through their scriptures, they're not just flicking through the pages and wondering what you know, just casually what what is going on. They searched intent, intently. They 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 dive deep into the scriptures to uh, try and understand. And while they were driven along by what's, what what uh, Peter describes as the Spirit of Christ, who is the who is the Holy Spirit, one and the same. Uh, the, the Holy Spirit is sent from the Father and the Son. Uh, They're driven along through the Holy Spirit, but they know that they're not serving themselves. They're serving a future generation who will see Jesus, fill in that blank space, and understand that Jesus is, he has been the plan all along. And finally he's come. And that tells me that we, you and I, are living in an age of greater knowledge than the Old Testament prophets. We know more than they knew. And... We, we now see that Jesus is the eternal king, that he died on the cross to save us, that he is risen to life again to prove that that death was successful and that our our future is not just get on with this life until until we're too tired. It is we, our future inheritance is locked in. It can never perish, spoil or fade and that is secure. It seems to me as I read through verses 10, 11 and 12 that the prophets had a, a kind of passion and enthusiasm about the word of God. And I wonder whether we, whether we lack that. I, wa- I wonder whether we've lost that enthusiasm for reading the scriptures, for diving into the scriptures and just seeing how marvelous it is of what God has done. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. I can say that over and over and over again and it can be just academic. But to remember that God has secured that inheritance for me, that he came to earth to die on the cross to save my soul and that now that, is, that, that inheritance is kept in heaven, locked in. No one can take it away, no one can steal it, no one can ruin it, no one can uh, decay it. it. It is kept, it's, it's a sure thing. Our salvation is, is, a, is a real deal and it means a lot to God for you to be saved. It means a great deal for him that you be saved and it's right for us to respond with praise and thanksgiving. I wonder if, if uh, we are the only people, the only ones who are underwhelmed by all of this. The prophets were excited about it and you see the very last phrase in this passage, even angels long to look into these things. The angels are are creatures that God made and yet he didn't save them. Jesus didn't die on the cross for them. What are they amazed at? What are angels, if we can imagine? what, what What are they peering in and getting excited about? They're excited about who God is because his mercy is great and that amazes them. That God would look at these creatures, you and I, who have, who have blatantly turned our back on God, living our life as if God means barely anything to us, and yet he came into the world to save us. He has gone to great lengths to save us. And the least that we can do is to get excited about that. The least we can do is live lives that praise him, that worship him, that give thanks to him. Not that we can get closer to him, because he's already given us everything. Every spiritual blessing has been given to us. But we can we can learn to love him and to grow in our love for him so that every minute of our days we think, we think of him and we love him and we long to see him. Friends, Peter has played the see the future card so that we can live our lives differently, so that our every day is lived knowing where we're going. And not maybe will we get there, but that through the Lord Jesus Christ, this new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, we are saved and we look forward to seeing him face to face. Let me pray. Father, the gospel we understand is so simple that because we denied you You had a choice of either casting us aside or saving us. And because of your great mercy, you chose to save us. Lord, please waken us up. Please set our minds alight with the knowledge of the gospel and set our hearts on fire for the knowledge of you. I pray, Lord, that you would help us in the days that we live on this earth, to give thanks and praise to you that our future is secured and help us to live in response to that. Father, through the trials of this, this life, they can be awfully hard for us to live through. But I pray, Lord, you'd help us to use that shield of faith anchored in your gospel, in your promises, in your salvation that has been given to us. We pray for your help in this, uh, through your spirit and, and by your word. In Jesus' name, amen.